Welcome to another edition of Ecclesial Thoughts with your host, Youth Pastor Austin Meisner, here on KKTY Tiger Country Radio. All right, guys. Good evening or morning or afternoon if you're listening on the podcast. If you're listening on KKTY as we air at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights, good evening to you. I hope you guys have had a great work day. This is, of course, Ecclesial Thoughts, and we are glad to be back in the saddle. So, without further ado, let us get started. This week, we are moving on to our third episode of 2020. I'm super glad. Hopefully, I'm going to hit the 30-minute the mark this time instead of the 41-minute mark, which was a little bit long even for me. So, we shall see where we're going to be at. Today, we are going to be talking through our third doctrine of scriptures, uh, or doctrines of the Word of God. We're going to be expounding a little bit upon that, um, and and so I, what we're going to see where it goes. Um, as always, we have our awesome and amazing sponsors. We have Better Homes and Gardens Southwest Group Realty, um, Cards and Stripes Games, Troy's Workshop, Efficient Integrations, DM Graphics, and The Methodist Manor, and we are in the works of trying to get more and more sponsorship. We would love it if you guys would download the Live 365 app um, to give us a listen during the day, and also for many podcasts that we have. If you guys want just a little bit of the different things that we have to offer besides radio, on Monday mornings we've got, or on Monday through... Monday through Friday, we have the John and Heidi Morning Show from six at starting at six a.m. And then on Monday nights, we have the Country Cave Show at seven p.m. The '90s Country Flashback is on Tuesdays at seven p.m. At five p.m. on Wednesdays is the Wild and Wooly Show, followed by Ecclesial Thoughts at eight p.m. Uh, Thursday, we have Boomer Tube at five p.m. and Good Wives Guide to True Crime Shows at eight. Friday shows, we have the Mid-Missouri Bank Rep Mo football show at 4 p.m., Don Berry's fishing show at 6, Buck Country's Club at 8 p.m. Then Saturdays on the weekends, we've got Biscuits and Gravy at 10 a.m., Jim and Vic show at 4 p.m., and the SmackDown show on Saturday nights at 7 p.m. I'm recording, actually, during the middle of that airing. And then on Sunday nights, we've got, or on Sundays, we've got Paul Harvey at 9 a.m., Proclaiming the Word with our pastor, Ray Smith, at 10, Woman of the Military at 12, Paul Harvey again at 5 p.m., and The Country Mile at 8 p.m. And so we have plenty of different things and shows to offer you guys, and we'd love it if you download the Live 365 app to give us a listen. Um, And then uh, you can also find us at kktytigercountryradio.com and at Facebook you can find us or sorry, you can find us at kktyradio.com, and then on Facebook, it is facebook.com backslash kktytigercountryradio. We would love to hear from you guys on Facebook, on our website, all of these different things. Uh, please, like I said, go check out our sponsors. Come and listen to us. Give us some feedback of what you would like to hear so we can be a better station to serve who you guys are. So, without further ado... 
this week we're on to our third doctrine as i mentioned in week one we're going through a book called the 50 core truths of the christian faith it's by greg allison it is a guide to understanding and teaching theology so what i'm doing is taking a look through the doctrine these are basic teachings of the christian faith that all christians should agree on and so we're just talking about them and and just walking through what he says and i i also have my own uh other systematic theology that i look through and study as well as the scriptures and we're just having a discussion about why we need to know it or what what it is uh what is the doctrine why is it important what do we need to learn from it and be aware of and then how do we apply it in our daily lives so in week one we discussed, or in episode one, we discussed the inspiration of the scripture by God. Um, so, and then in week two, we talked about the inerrancy of scripture. Um, so, God, the the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture is that He is the author. God, being the author of scripture, using humans to do the writing. So, when we discussed the various things about that, week two was the inerrancy of Scripture and how it does not fail, how it does not err, it does not err in any way, shape, or form. It is always true. It is always going to be an accurate representation of things. Given the type of literature that it is using at the time. And so now we're going to kind of, since we, we already know those two things, we're going to take a time to wrap up kind of the logic that all of the doctrines of scripture are kind of going to fall into and this is important because logic i believe we have a logical god um as we look at the patterns in in nature in science in scripture uh we see people using logic um to connect scriptures and therefore we can see how god would logically give the, his commandments so that they are able to be understood in a normal way. And so God is the most supreme being in the universe. There is nothing greater. There is no one. Uh, he, there is nothing lacking in him. There is nothing that he has to give up to be a better being. He is the only perfect being. Um, and, of course, when I reference God, that encompasses the whole trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three in one, and, and all of that is perfect. So when we discuss this, everything starts there with God. Now, unfortunately, if we reverse, reverse engineer this, the only way we know anything about God is through the scriptures, any concrete things. Um, because just as Romans 1 says that the, the glory of the Lord is shown— in nature that we may know that there is a God, we only come to know in an intimate sense the Lord of all creation through the scriptures. And that's why I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Allison started with this because he the only way to know anything about God in a, in a for sure sense is to know the Bible. And so that's what we must do. And so if God is the most supreme being, this sets up a, a certain amount of logic. Um, so when so like I said, everything uh, that God is doesn't need anything. He doesn't have to give up anything. He already is perfect. Then it naturally flows that God's character 
then becomes a characteristic of the things that he does. So to put it simply, because God is perfect, he does things perfectly. So when he created the universe, he created it perfectly. When he created humans, he created them perfectly. When he gave them free will, or what we would consider free will, the freedom of making choices under his sovereignty, he again did that perfectly. And only a, a supreme being could weave that fine line throughout all of history and everything. So um, just as if I am doing something, uh, my characteristics begin to imbue uh, that thing that I'm doing. So if I am a terrible musician or if I'm terrible at studying or if I'm a procrastinator, that's going to show up in my work of whatever I do. Um, if I'm not a hardworking person in any way, shape, or form, that's going to show up. And so just like that, because God is a holy God, what he does is holy. Um, and we can never – it is totally other. That's, that's what holy means. Um, when he does things, they are always truthful because he cannot lie or deceive in the sense that we understand that. So – in regards to scripture, why I'm bringing this up is the fact that because he is the supreme authority of, or since he is the supreme being and the one who created everything, he then is therefore the supreme, uh, oh, what word, what word am I trying to think of here? He has supreme authority over everything because he knows everything. And since he created it, he has authority over it. So, therefore, when he speaks, his words naturally have authority over us or over whatever he is speaking to. When he spoke into the, the void in Genesis, he had authority over the non-existent materials that were there to create the universe. And, again, when he takes dust and makes man, he has authority over that dust to tell it what to do when it's going to do it. That is just being God. He is the supreme being, the supreme authority, and therefore, any time he speaks, his words have authority. They are perfect. They are true. They are wonderful. All of these things are loving. So for no other reason besides the fact that God authored the scriptures, they are authoritative. And this is a stance that I take strongly and I understand why he's taken this long. Uh, if you guys have listened to some of the arguments I've made over the last two episodes, then you'll know that that's kind of been the underlying authority is because God authored the scriptures. There should be no debate. But uh, uh, as a good, healthy thing, we, we question in honesty and we try to understand who he is more. So what happens then is because he is the author we must just assume that the scriptures are therefore authoritative in every area of life. Now, we'll find out the specifics of those when we read the Bible, but we do know that the Bible itself is authoritative over all areas of life. And we need no other reason to think of it as being authoritative except that God inspired it because he is the creator of it. And just like he created human beings, and so he knows us better than anything, and therefore he has weight and authority when he speaks to us, that follows. So, how would we define the doctrine of the authority of Scripture? 
Allison puts it this way, the authority of Scripture is the property by which it, as the inspired word of the sovereign God, possesses the right to command what Christians are to believe, do, and be, to prohibit what they are not to believe, do, and be. So in other words, the authority of Scripture is because it is the inspired word of God, it has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do, is the simple terms. The Bible is allowed to do that. <clears throat> and there is no other, there's no way to finagle our ways out of it. When the Bible says to do something, when understood, as we talked about last week, and then er the inerrancy is when we have to understand it correctly and not twist scripture. But when the Bible tells us to do something, naturally we are supposed to do it because it's authoritative. Not because a pastor said so. So when a pastor tells you to do something, it, that's not necessarily authority. Is Scripture the line in which you're drawing in your sand and saying, this is the standard that I judge? And we're going to talk about that. So as we read the definition of the doctrine, the Bible, because it's authored by God, has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do for, for simple to simplify it. As we read that definition, we see that the very nature of Scripture dictates how it's authoritative, and I've already went about it, that God created it therefore. It's just like when I, as a dad, give these things to my son, when I say, hey, go do this, and he says, why? Because I'm your father. I have the authority over you to tell you what to do. I don't have to have a reason. That's just the natural authority. When I, when a, my boss tells me to do something, I don't have to know the reason why I'm doing what I'm being asked to do. I just know that the authority above me told me to do it, and therefore, as a good worker, I should do it, as long as it's not a conscious issue. So, this is not a small thing. All throughout Scripture, we continue to see that the Lord identifies himself with his word over and over again. So because God authored it, naturally he's going to relay that to us and continue to make the connection between him and his word. And if we were to read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18, it says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if you in your hearts turn away and will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land and that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. So here, <coughs> Moses is telling the Israelites that God is intimately entwined with his word, just as we are. When we say something, it is intimate from us. Now, a lot of us are good at speaking, double speak, lies, and that's a natural part of humanity is to be wanting to distance ourselves from our words. I mean, we're coming up on a presidential election and words, words, words. You said this. You said that. I mean, we have a president who never shuts up on Twitter. Words are powerful and they're intimate because out of the wellspring of the heart, so the mouth speaks is what the scriptures say. And so even though we can mask it to a degree, there's always a bit of, uh, of truth and honesty in those things. So let's take a look at a New Testament verse that 
makes us understand that both both Old Testament and New Testament hold this idea that God's word is authoritative because it is God who authored it. It says, and we also in first second in First Thessalonians chapter two verse thir- thirteen it says, and we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. So again, we have this awesome privilege to get to see how men play a role in telling people the word of God. Prophets were the the thing in the Old Testament, the apostles are in the New Testament, and preachers are post post the apostolistic era. Apostolic, uh, I can't pronounce that word right. So after the apostles died, pastors and preachers began that process of communicating God's word to the people. And the people are not to take it as the words of men, but if the words of men are staying faithful to the word of God, then they are to take it as the word of God itself. So when we learn things through pastors, through the scriptures that end up being true, that is because it was the word of God and not the word of man. So we have... Old Testament testifying to this, that it's the word of God, and therefore it's authoritative. The New Testament and the book of Thessalonians saying that it is authoritative. So what are we missing? Jesus. Let's take a look at what he has to say. So what does Jesus say about this view of the doctrine? Well, if we were to look at John chapter 10, verse 30 through 36, we have this wonderful little illustration uh, where Jesus is teaching and then the Pharisees come to stone him because he's has, he has this word and says, I and the Father are one. Then verse 31 continues, the Jews picked up stones against to stone him, again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you the many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for the good work that we are going to stone you, but for the blasphemy, because you, being man, make yourself God. Jesus answered then, is it not written in your laws? I said, you are gods, which just so you guys listen out there in radio land, that comes from Psalm 82, 6. And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and set the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. And so here we have Jesus staking his claim that the word of God is authoritative. So when he quotes that Psalm 82, he's saying, this gives me the right to say what I'm saying. It is authoritative over the situation. God's word said I can do this, and that's why I'm doing it. Let's, let's, let's just throw out the whole thing about that Jesus is Jesus, and so he already has perfect knowledge of what he can and can't do. Or if we wanted to take it out an earlier passage in Luke chapter 4 when we have the temptation of Jesus and the temple. What does Jesus do? Every time the devil tempts him with something, he quotes scripture as an authority to tell him what not to do. And then Satan only in one one instance tries to get around one or once or twice tries to get around this with quoting other scriptures. But Jesus always comes back with the scripture as being authoritative, telling us what to do and what not to do. And that's important. 
because in those in those both of those situations, those were two different things. In John chapter ten, we see Jesus quoting scripture as an a, a authoritative source for him to do something. And then in Levi, not Levi, Luke chapter four, he's quoting the scriptures as an authority for what not to do. And so we even in that the the basic definition that we gave that God's the authority of scripture basically means that because it is God's inspired word, it has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. Jesus is fulfilling that right there. We can see it in the Gospels. Yes, I can do these things. No, I shouldn't do these things. Jesus was living as a person who understood the authority of Scripture applied to all of life. And we know this because he could have never became a perfect sacrifice if he would not have fulfilled the law of Moses. So when somebody like Jesus, who I believe is the Lord and Savior of the entire planet, universe, creator of all, and he thinks and does and acts based totally on Scripture as his filter, as his, uh, you know, what he's marinating in all the time, whether it's in prayer or in the Bible. I mean, then we should obviously be taking after him. We should understand that Scripture will always be the thing that dictates to us what we should what we should do. So. How do we know that Jesus thought this, that it was that it was perfect, and that it was from God? Well, if we take a look at John chapter 8, verse 28, we see that, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Here we have Jesus recognize the Father as being his authority. And being told what to do. So being told what to do requires words. And so the Father's words are authoritative on what to do and what not to do. Then in John chapter 7, verses 16 through 18, he says that my words are not my words, but they are my Father's words. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. That's verse 18. Uh, Verse 17 says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether he the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And in this little passage, he is claiming that his authority comes from, again, the word of God. So we have the Father having authority in John chapter 8, Jesus having authority through the Father in John chapter 7, and then in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So here in John 16, we see Jesus recognize that the Holy Spirit, through the Father's words, is authoritative. And so we have this wonderful aspect here in the book of John where Jesus is affirming the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have authority based on God's word and what he's already said. And so, therefore, we must understand that the authority of Scripture is not man-made. It is not something that I'm just making up as I go along. It is something that is a very inherent nature of who God is, that his word is authoritative. Whether it's written, whether it's spoken, whether it's in a dream like in the, the Old Testament or in you know the book of Acts with Peter. 
So that shows us that Jesus himself believes all of the scriptures to be authoritative. So when we are pitting Bible verse against Bible verse for things such as Christian freedom, we must be careful because the Bible does not contradict itself. It is authoritative in all times, periods, and eras in which it exists. God's word is no less authoritative today than it was when Jesus walked the earth, and it was it is no more authoritative today or less authoritative today than when the kings of Israel were ruling uh, with David and Saul and, and Solomon. God's word is God wor God's word and is authoritative from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations, from the past all the way to, into the future. It will always be authoritative. It will always command us to do things and to not do things. And Jesus believed every word of that. He didn't know that Austin exists. He, he might have known that Austin existed while he was in his human form, but he, you know, God knew from the very beginning of creation, as the book of Ephesians says, that I was going to be created um, in the world. And so because I'm gleaning all of that statement off of the affirmations of Scripture, Jesus believed that. He knows that the Father's words are authoritative, and he's the Father's Son. Just as my son knows that when I tell him to do something, that's that has weight behind it rather than if somebody else tells him to do something, that's the same instinctual idea. So, so we've talked about Jesus believing it. We've talked about how the, um, ins the, the authority comes from the inspiration and who wrote it. So those are the two things. And now lastly, we have to discuss is this doctrine, in relation to this doctrine, is the term sola scriptura. Now that's a fancy Latin phrase meaning solely scripture or scripture alone. And it was one of the five solas that... Um, helped to push along the Protestant Reformation uh, 500 years ago. Uh, Sola Scriptura, though, is the best way to put it um, in a crass way that I've heard many times today would be no creed but the Bible. Now, I understand that. I get the sentiment. Like learning theology is hard. L listening to the Apostles' Creed and trying to memorize things is hard. And you want to just know the Bible. But all of those uh, systematic theology textbooks didn't just pop out of thin air. It came all from Scripture, and it's just putting all of these ideas and tying them all together. Or the Apostles' Creed came all from Scripture. They're affirmations of Scripture put in, into men's words. They're not bad things. But sola scriptura is where we stake our claim as a church, uh, for me as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. Scripture is to be my judge and my guide, and that is a tough standard to walk. As anybody knows, we're all sinners, and that's because Scripture does not budge. We do. Now, this gets muddy because people will have personal experiences or they'll have churches tell them things or pastors tell them things that do not line up with scripture. And that's where it's hard. So if you have a personal experience, your mirror better be, what does the Bible say? Not, does the Bible say I can have dreams and visions? Because that's, that's obviously possible. The New Testament talks about it as well. But does what 
that personal experience, does it does it match up with what Scripture says about personal experiences? And do, did what I learned from it, is it scriptural and, and bedrock? And what am I told to do in that personal experience? Is it scriptural? All of these things have to be weighed. Again, churches must be weighed by Scripture, not by the deacon board or by the elder board or by the board of trustees, whatever your your church has, it's not to be ruled by them, but it's to be ruled by scripture. And that's that's part of the reason why we have such a hard time today in churches is because so few choose to do things in a scriptural manner. I, I can only think of a few churches that I've ever seen do church discipline or heard about. And church discipline is a real thing, but that's not loving, and it drives people away to know that they're being held to a standard, and that's uncommon, unfortunately. So does your church abide by Scripture? Does your personal life abide by Scripture? Does your pastor abide by Scripture and put it as the mirror every single day? If any of, of the churches, the pastors, the personal experiences, what you're reading in your Bible time, you can be reading your Bible and digging into the Word of God and come up with something that's not scriptural. I mean, we, we've fought heresies over this. The I mean, just going over doctrines is a tough subject because I can go over a doctrine, but then it can die the, the death of a thousand qualifications. Because, well, we're going to change this little tiny thing and that, well, uh, over and over and over again. Knowing, but when scripture is plain, it's plain. And we're going to talk about that next week or the week after. So, but we must, must, our government must own up to the mirror of scripture of what is the government's job. And I'm not saying that the, to blend the lines of church and state, but Christians, when you vote... That's a, a, a response to what you think the, the mirror of the Bible is telling you to do. And therefore, the, the government's the way it is. <clears throat> so what do we have to watch out for? We've talked about affirming it, and the largest affirmation is that God is the author, and therefore it's authoritative, because God is authoritative. And I realize we hit that hammer a lot to drive it home, because that's important. Because people will say, well, the Bible wasn't isn't really the word of God. And that's one of the things you have to attack and show them how it, and, and ask those people how it's not the word of God and where does it err and why, if it errs in this, can we trust it in, in another area? All of these other things. But because if somebody says, well, it was written by Paul, not by God. Well, if it's written by Paul and he wasn't an inspired author, then the, his his texts have no authority over me because they're just... The, the musings and teachings of a man who does not have true godly authority like he, he he did. I believe he was totally inspired, and therefore what he wrote had the authority of God behind it because it was God, God was the author. Whereas Wayne Grudem does not hold the same authority that the Apostle Paul had or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So when he writes a systematic theology textbook or an ethics textbook, that is not something that you have to take as God's word. You have to do your own study to find out if what those those things say are true. So rejecting the inspiration of Scripture ultimately leads to the, the, the destruction of Charlotte's Web here. Like if you pull the inspiration of Scripture and who God is out of the mix, 
then it can be fallible. And then you take that out, and there's no way we know what's fallible and what's not. And then it also takes out the idea that it has any authority. Because if it's wrong, it has no authority. Only if it's right and true can it have authority. So you have to fight that, that idea that it wasn't inspired by God. The other is the neglect or denial of sola scriptura. So when we say that you must put everything before the Bible, you must. So when we talk, I posed this question a couple, uh, about a month and a half ago. Two, no, wait. Ah, oh, man, I'm getting my dates all mixed up. This was months ago at CU at the Pole. I posed this question of, of should we have lights in worship? And there's this thing called the regulative principle of worship. And it, it tries to let scripture guide what our worship services should look like. And so I posed the question of, well, should we have lights dimmed and, and multicolored lights and only solos or all of these other things in our worship services? And it, it got some, some feedback. Uh, and I have a hard time with some of it. I'm not going to lie, I struggle with the RPW, uh, just for short, because I believe we can do everything to the glory of God. And I don't think that there's a standard of less glory to more glory. I believe that if you are glorifying God, you're glorifying God. So, and you guys out there may be listening and say, hey, yeah, there's definitely a scale, a sliding scale of less glory to more glory. Um, whereas I know that there's things that aren't glorious, and then there's glorifying God. I think anytime you're not glorifying God, there's not just a little bit. Um, so denying sola scriptura. So if we don't hold the Bible to it, worship to how the pastor preaches, to how Sunday school is run, if we have Sunday school, how the church is run in general, um, then, then we have a problem. And yes, as a Christian, your number one base point to start with is scripture. You better be pulling out the Bible and starting from there and then leapfrogging over to a science textbook to help defend your scriptural views. But bedrock, here's what I believe because X, Y, and Z. And then you can go further on. So what does this have to do with us in real life? Now, for non-Christians, if you're out there listening, or for those of you who have non-Christian friends, the Bible, there's only one thing the Bible tells them to do. It says it tells them to come, repent, and seek the Lord seek the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, and be saved. Trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, that he was raised on the third day. That's what the Bible tells non-believers to do. The Bible does not tell non-believers to not go get drunk. It tells believers to not go get drunk. It does not tell non-believers to not have premarital sex. It tells Christians to not have premarital sex. And those are the commandments to God's people. Now, I can already hear some of the ar arguments you know, from miles and miles and miles away from whoever's listening of, well, yes, people are, like, by telling a non-believer to do what God has asked of a believer is more moral. I agree, and we should be advocating for moral change to align ourselves and our society more with who God is and what he wants. So I would love it if every single non-believer didn't have premarital sex and have babies that they quote-unquote can't afford or then want to have an abortion. 
that would be awesome if they would just follow God's word. But they're not put under the same scrutiny that we are. As the Apostle Paul says later, why are you, uh, if we were told to be out of, without sinners or to not uh, be among sinners, we could never go evangelize. We could never talk with people. But uh, the standard with which Christians are to hold each other is totally different, which is why church discipline and excommunication is such a, a real thing that I think can be practiced. So we must take it seriously as a, Individual all the way up. The other thing is then just facing people who say, well, you can't use the Bible as your authority. And I agree there is an argument of, hey, well, I'm going to take somebody else's basic premise and then flip it to my side because they're not going to listen to the authority of the Bible. Because if it's a Muslim, they're not going to subscribe to Scripture. But I also believe that Scripture is the only way that you're going to convert somebody. And so scripture, the authority, plays out in how you live your life, no matter what it is. Are you doing the things it commands? Are you being obedient? That's the, that's the big word. Are you being submissive to the word of God? And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people know when they sin. They don't like that feeling, and therefore it's, it hurts. And so big takeaway is that the authority of the scripture is lived out in your life. If you really believe what the word says— you're going to do the things that it says. Yeah, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But if you're constantly doing something, I struggle with this too. I, I struggle with different things of, oh, well, do I really believe the word of God says what it says? I'm not perfect. Uh, is that really a sin or else why would I continue to allow myself to do things? To, you know, speed and and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I'm disobeying authorities. But God, did God really have I in mind speed limits when he was setting that you know those are the kind of arguments that go through my head and so the the big takeaway tonight when you hear the authority of scripture you have the knowledge that god is the author therefore it's authoritative jesus believes is authoritative um jesus is authoritative the holy spirit's authoritative and we have all of those words in our current scriptures and therefore we are to follow them we are to defend them and make sure we build our lives upon them. I know this was a very redundant episode for some of you guys out there because I hit the same nail over and over and over again. But the authority, if the authority of Scripture doesn't exist, the rest of this is not going to make sense. Because then there's going to be nothing else for us to hang our hat on. Unless it's, God said it, I'm going to do it. So, hope you guys have a great week. Uh, Try to download Live 365 to listen in during the weekdays. Also, you can check me out. I'm on Anchor Podcast. I'm on Spotify, Google Podcast. I think I'm on iTunes. Just search my name or search the show Ecclesial Thoughts. Shoot me a Facebook message and uh, let me know what you think of the show. Always looking for feedback. So you guys have a wonderful night.